Next, this month's special series, Focus on Global Medicine. ReachMD is taking an in-depth look at how medicine is working toward health and longevity for people around the world. Join us all this month for the latest medical research and treatment across borders. Like many countries, England faces a serious shortage of medical providers. One solution is to introduce a U.S.-style physician assistant to the workforce. Can physician assistants be effective in England? You're listening to ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm PA Lisa DeAndre Linnell, your host, and with me today is Dr. Philip Begg, Associate Dean for Primary Health at the School of Health, University of Wolverhampton. Dr. Begg has been instrumental in bringing PAs to England and helped develop the first PA program. Today we're discussing the development and growth of PAs in England. Hi, Phil. Welcome to ReachMD. Hi, Lisa. Thank you very much for having me. Phil, you can start by telling us about the medical system in England and how medical care is delivered there. The first thing I'd like to say is how the NHS is a centrally funded healthcare system. So all of our healthcare is paid for by direct taxation. And in fact, the full cost of healthcare in the UK is about $300 billion per annum. And that's all funded out of central taxation. And the National Health Service is one of the largest employers in the world. In fact, it's the third largest employer in the world, next to, I believe, the Chinese Army and the Indian Railway. So it's quite a sizable organization. Why the need for a PA type of practitioner? Well, I think a couple of reasons, really. I think, firstly, the increasing demand for health care and the length of time it takes to train a doctor. And what we've seen is the projected change in demography that's being suggested over the next 10 to 20 years, where we're seeing the greatest number of healthcare users being the under fives and the over 60s, and the shift in balance for those who are going to be in the retirement age. And simply, we can't survive with our current healthcare structure. We need to have a much more flexible workforce that can adapt to changing ways of service delivery. And the current structure simply doesn't match that. And, of course, training a doctor takes a long time. Well, in 2002, two U.S.-trained PAs were recruited for a one-year pilot project. What was the goal of that pilot, and what was the outcome? Well, I think this is one of the most significant events, and uh, I was very excited when this happened. I was actually working as a director in primary care at the time before moving into academia. The idea really was to investigate the efficacy of this role. We'd heard about the role. We'd heard about how effective it had been in the U.S. and the sort of almost 40 years of history by then. We wondered whether we could use these healthcare practitioners here in the U.K. How could it make a difference? Were they cost-effective? Did the patients accept them? These were all questions that had to be asked, and these were part of the goal. And what was the outcome? Well, the outcome was very positive. There was a formal evaluation which was carried out by the Health Services Management Centre, which is actually based out of the University of Birmingham, one of our our great partners that we work with. The evaluation was conducted by them, and it was a very meticulous investigation which concluded that the physician assistant was not only effective, but was clinically appropriate and well-developed and organized in their role, and that it should be considered by healthcare providers who were planning workforce development in the forthcoming years. 
Well, in 2004, you played an instrumental role in creating the physician assistant profession in England by developing the first degree level program at the University of Wolverhampton. So you went from a pilot to developing a program. What were some of the hurdles that you faced in setting up this program? You know, I guess the first thing was I was simply determined to succeed. I'd seen the use of the PA in the pilot sites that were carried out in the UK and had first-hand experience of seeing these work and was totally convinced that they were a solution to the problem. I had no doubt about it in my own mind. And I couldn't work out why on earth were we not developing our own. Uh, whilst it was wonderful to have these very experienced American PAs, I couldn't quite work out why we weren't developing our own. So I decided it was time that we got on to do it. Well, the biggest obstacle, of course, is getting people to believe you and getting people to understand that we actually need this. And I'm a great believer in the fact that a good idea has three clear stages. The first stage is people think you're ridiculous. Everyone thinks, frankly, that you're mad and that, you know, that you're walking in the opposite direction to the way policy and has been developed. And the second stage is that it becomes controversial. Everyone is then convinced that you're crazy. And why should you set up a program for a profession that's not recognized in the country? You know, why would you do that? But then you move to the third stage, which is that it's blindingly obvious. And this is when people really get it and they understand. So we had to convince medical practitioners, our physicians and the royal colleges. We had to convince the Department of Health. And having talked about it for weeks and weeks and weeks, it turned into months, I decided the best way to do this was simply to get on and develop the program. So with my colleagues at the University of Wolverhampton and friends from the University of Kentucky, particularly Professor David Farringer, who really was my mentor in helping develop this program, we started. But you know, it's not just down to one individual, Lisa. We've got this great group of educators who form the UK University's Board for Physician Assistant Education, which I guess is similar to PAEA. And I've been privileged to chair that for the past three years. And we've had colleagues like Professor Jim Paul and Nick Ross from Birmingham and people like Maureen Brennan from Hertfordshire and Diane Jackson from St. George's who have really helped shape the way that this has gone. And we've fought one battle at a time but I think we're beginning to get it now. So, Phil, where's the program now? Okay, well, we're at a very exciting stage in our development. We started with a very small cohort of five students, and for three years we ran just five students per year. Colleagues at the University of Hertfordshire joined with their program in 2006, and then subsequently the University of Birmingham started their program in 2008, and Hertfordshire, uh, sorry, St. George's Hospital University started their program in 2009. So we've now got four programs that are up and running. They all use exactly the same model. Uh, we've got a national curriculum and competency framework, which has been agreed by the Department of Health and the Royal Colleges. So we all work to the same competency and curriculum framework. We're starting to see our graduates coming out um, delighted to tell you that there are 26 graduating from our collaborative program in two weeks' time. And we estimate by 2012, we'll have somewhere in the region of 200 UK PA graduates. And that's a real exciting time for us. Is the physician assistant a recognized or registered title in the UK yet? Well, you know, I was saying to you earlier that we fight each battle as we get to it. And this is our next big battle that we're fighting just right at this very moment. We were still struggling to get 
the Department of Health and the NHS to recognize the physician assistant as a registered practitioner. Now, the Department of Health has now put some funding behind setting up what's called a voluntary managed list. Now, in the UK, before you become a statutory registered practitioner, you have to go through different stages. And the first stage, the most important stage, really, is the managed voluntary list. So by the end of December, the physician assistants practicing in this country will all be on the register, which is this voluntary managed list. And that's the precursor to them being registered, we hope, by the General Medical Council. And within the next two years, they will be registered, which means that they will have a protected title. Well, let's talk about the title, physician (laughs) assistant. In the U.S., it's caused so much conflict. So why would you choose a name that's generated so much controversy here? Well, I laugh probably because I just think, my goodness, that's a real issue. And it just seems to be the same both sides of the pond. And I, I was recently in the U.S., in Portland, Oregon, the PAEA conference, and I know that there is still some debate even now within the uh, PA family in America. Well, over here, we started out our own program by calling it the Master of Physician Associate Studies because we felt that that reflected what the practitioners actually did. When the curriculum framework was being developed, we needed a working title that everyone could sign up to. So you may have heard that we called the working title the medical care practitioner, but that really didn't work. People were very, very confused by what that meant. So the compromise position that we got to was, what is everyone else doing, and particularly what is our American colleagues doing by way of title? And clearly the physician assistant was the title that's commonly used in the U.S. So we adopted that title, and that's the one that we currently work with. And I think until the role's richly embedded in the NHS culture, I think we'll hang on to that title because there are are other battles to fight along the way as well. Well, it'll give you many things to talk about later. (laughs) So we're approaching 2010, and how many homegrown PAs do you have working in England, and how many U.S. trained PAs are there? Okay, well, I think that where we are currently, there are about 40 to 45 PAs working in the U.K., and 18 of those are from the UK. So that's from uh, my own program at Wolverhampton and some from the program at Hertfordshire. Uh, no other programs graduated anyone yet, but as I said earlier, there's 26 who are about to graduate. So we're suddenly going to move to a position where we're going to have about 44 British graduates, and I think somewhere in the region of about 20-plus American PAs still working here, either in academia or in clinical practice. And how are they being utilized in clinical practice? It still needs quite a bit of development, Lisa, but where we are at the moment is that mainly in family medicine and ER, we have some American PAs working in internal medicine, and some of our own graduates are working in what we would call medical admissions. So unplanned admissions for internal medicine. That's the majority of them. But there's a couple of very exciting developments which are very, very new, in fact, in the last month, where we're looking to employ a couple of UK graduates in orthopedic medicine, orthopedic surgery, that is, up in Scotland, and also in pain management. And we've recently just had a job advertised for a PA specifically to work in cardiology. 
So it's beginning to specialize slightly. In England, you've been able to move forward with this PA model, but why do you think Scotland is having such a difficulty? And is there talk of training PAs in England and then transferring them to Scotland as part of the UK initiative? I think that's where we're at at the moment, Lisa, with this, is that I've been working very much with some colleagues up there, and we've got two wonderful evangelists for the PA role up there, Dr. Trish O'Connor, who's an ER consultant, and her husband, Dr. Alberto Gregori, who's an orthopedic surgeon. And they are really leading the way with this in Scotland. But I think that the exciting news is it looks like we're going to have one program starting up in Scotland, maybe September 2010, maybe the year after, but certainly there will be a program in Scotland. I'm saddened by the fact that there was a project which lasted a year looking at the use of PAs in Scotland. and In fact, they, they had 10 PAs working there. And the report was published, which seemed to show that they were uh, well-utilized, there were experienced PAs in there, all of their attributes were accepted and were used well in Scotland. The report itself, I think, could have been written particularly a bit better than it was, but I think all in all, it was unequivocal in the fact that PAs are an effective part of the workforce. So for now, they're looking to employ our graduates from England. But I'm certain that within the next two years, they will have their own program up and running there. And there's no better place for PAs to be working. So what do you see for the future of PAs in England? I'm the perpetual optimist. I don't think that I would have fought the battles I've fought over the past six years and survived if I hadn't been a perpetual optimist. We're now starting to see many more roles coming into the job market for PAs. I think all of our 26 graduates will find work almost straight away. And larger teaching hospitals are also now indicating that they want to plan a phased implementation of physician assistance into the workplace. So I'm confident. I think it will become embedded in our healthcare system. And, you know, we're getting back to the three stages of the idea, the third stage being blindingly obvious, I think in five maybe 10 years' time, people will look back and think, this was just so obvious, why didn't we do it earlier? Well, Dr. Philip Begg, thank you for pioneering the role in the UK. And we appreciate you coming on the show and look forward to seeing uh, how things progress. Well, thank you. It's been a great pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. I'm PA Lisa DeAndre Linnell, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Please visit our website at ReachMD.com, which features our entire library through on-demand podcasts. And you can also find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. And thank you for listening. You've been listening to this month's special series, Focus on Global Medicine. For a program guide and a complete list of shows, please visit us at ReachMD.com and download ReachMD's new iPhone app, Medical Radio, to listen to the same live stream of ReachMD medical news and information you enjoy on XM160, plus CME and thousands of searchable podcasts. Download Medical Radio today.